Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you this evening, sir? Doing well. Just just excited to talk about this portal that's popping off right now. What about you? The gates are open, my friend. They have swung open, and there's a lot going on. But I was going to ask you, I have a question. How are you doing knowing that we have just like abruptly hit offseason? Like this is a... I mean, it's it doesn't ease into it when you go uh, seven and five like Oklahoma State did. It felt like the offseason started six weeks ago, but then it yeah. just got here. Yeah, you're right. It almost feels like it's back in season now. <laughs> like the uh, we had the lull when they lost multiple games in a row, and now with the transfer portal stuff and the commits, it's turned into hey, let's watch film on this guy, and and now it's the excitement has kind of started off again. It, I was messaging with somebody in our GPS group and telling them, you know, one or two more commits and I'm thinking big 12 championship again. And that's just, you know, that's just the kind of hype train I get on way too quickly. Well, hook that up. I, you know what? I applaud you for that. And I, I don't disagree that there are Oklahoma States just a few pieces away from making it an interesting run, but it's like you and I said, not to be Debbie Downers, we, you and I said the ceiling next year with the way the roster stood before last week's events and this week's events with the transfer portal additions, we were looking at a six to seven win ceiling with, with the quarterback situation. So now I feel a little bit different. Still some glaring needs. We'll talk about all of that as we get into the transfer portal, but it's hard to not get a little excited as you see Oklahoma State grab three really solid uh, additions out of the portal this week. Yeah, I completely agree. And you hit it right on the head with the, you know, there's still some glaring needs out there. And if those don't get addressed, which I believe they will, that I'll jump right off the hype train going full (laughs) speed at first. But I think I'm optimistic with how it started off and how many offers have gone out, especially from a guy who I've been told, you know, by the local media is not really a portal guy because they believe every single word he says. Isn't that something? Which, which kind of Gundy's fault too. He probably should just be, you know, a little bit more truthful, but that's just not how he is. Well, we had a long discussion about this. It's oftentimes don't look at what Gundy says, look at what he does. And the track record did speak for itself. Like Mike Gundy, while he may be, and I, I agree with people on this, I think he may be personally against the idea of the transfer portal. But 100%. I don't believe that it's held back Oklahoma State in the way that it's been discussed ad nauseum. I mean, it's he's, it's the only he's thing. The grad transfer about. king, he has been. Exactly. Oklahoma State basically like invented the grad transfer. <laughs> well, and I just like I look at. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Tay Martin and Jalen Warren. Like you have two high profile examples of that use of the transfer portal. And I, we're opening this hot and heavy because I I still think people are taking that line of I'm not a big transfer portal guy and running with it without really looking at like 
what what history says about this and all this is is what he's done in the portal for the last four years or since it's been a thing this shouldn't be a big surprise yeah that would be like me telling you I- i'm not a big oklahoma state football guy basically. <laughs> not a big podcast guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, it's just and you know we don't have to keep going on it like you said but it's it's tough because that's what he's saying in these press conferences on his radio show, things like that. But you just have to look at the historical data to see that obviously Oklahoma state goes after the transfer portal fairly hard every year. Last year was kind of an, you know, we talked about it like the 15, the eight in the previous uh, couple of years. But the thing with last year is they had even more and a couple of guys fell off like with the Casey Collier and some of the things that happened with him off field. Prince Pines making the last minute decision to go to Tulane. So th- those are, you know, two more right there that were committed and then kind of flipped or something happened. And they had to leave the team, not to mention Juco guys like Tyrone Weber, who we talked about. It's not with the team anymore. And the, the new news with CJ Brown, who I know is high school, but all that, you just got to kind of look at how they've been operating the past couple of years to see that Gundy's lying. <laughs> He's also, I think, just deflecting. Like, I genuinely don't know how much he really wants to be part of those press conferences. So you talk not about like salt in the beer, yogurt and pretzels, not a big transfer portal guy. I honestly think he's messing around. A troll. He's a troll. <laughs> he's trolling them. Yes. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, it is funny. Well, we'll get we'll get back into the transfer portal. We're we're gonna take a step out for a minute. I'll throw it over to the Dustin for a couple of uh, notes and and things we'd like to discuss. Yeah, practice still going on. You know, off days here and there. It sounds like both Woodard and Birmingham are practicing right now. I, I from all signs are pointing to Woodard playing in the bowl game. I don't believe Birmingham will, but he you know they're gonna. We, you and I still think Woodard is probably going to leave going pro, not transfer portal. Birmingham will be back based on his loyal and true tweets. So if, if Woodard were to change his mind, that would be great. It's awesome that he's going to play in the bowl game either way because, you know, he's one of our favorite players. Also, Robert Allen, last time he mentioned this, is saying he thinks Oklahoma State is going to incorporate more gap scheme runs into their scheme he's mentioned this a couple of times now so i'll be excited to see how much of that bleeds into the bowl game you know we talked about not being able to completely switch your scheme mid-season but when you've got two three weeks of practice leading up to the bowl you can obviously incorporate and install some new things getting you prepared going into next season so that'll be pretty cool neither green twin will be available bryson ended up having surgery on his shoulder i believe it was last week so he'll be ready to go next season and then blaine will obviously be back from the wrist we mentioned tyron weber no longer with the team i believe we mentioned that on the last podcast he actually hasn't been with the team since about the middle of the season he tweeted out taking some time to himself for mental health so best of luck to tyrone hopefully he can get back on the football field, whether that be with Oklahoma State or somebody else. And then C.J. Brown, not a lot of info on him. I'm not sure. We don't want to speculate because some some of the things we've heard are probably things you don't really want to speculate in. Not anything serious, but just some school-related things. So C.J. Brown, no longer with the team. I believe that was more towards the end of the season. And then, Kate, I wanted to mention before we get into transfer portal, there is a new rule. I actually didn't know about this until recently. You may have, but 
the guys that are planning on enrolling early can actually go to Arizona and participate in the bowl practices with the team. So you're Justin Wright, you're Zane Flores. They can go and practice with the team in Arizona for those few practices before the bowl. Thought that was uh, pretty cool. And then last two notes, sorry, I missed two real quick. Zach Middleton, running back, medical retirement, uh, several concussions over the past few years, and he's going to go ahead and medically retire from football. And then Talon Shetron back in practicing, and he should be ready for the bowl. Well, the, the rule, it makes you wonder if Oklahoma State's being so aggressive early on because of that. You know how much Mike Gundy loves to get players on campus early. Uh, he believes in that. You're behind the curve if you're not on campus early. I wonder if this is another one of those, you know, examples of Mike Gundy trying to use as much practice as possible to get guys up to speed. I mean, that, it would be silly not to, but for a guy like Justin Wright and Zane Flores, that's fantastic. I mean, it, it would be really great if you could get a, oh, I don't know, a Dalton Cooper or a Xavion Washington or somebody like that into this mix as well at these key positions of need to get them integrated now into spring, into fall. Um, I, I love it. And quite frankly, um, it does incentivize the quick and early transfer, which is what I think the transfer portal like should be used for. But anyway. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you're getting out there and practicing with pads, full speed, and you're not able to really do that again until, you know, what, the March time frame yeah. when you can actually get back on the field and get ready for spring football and the spring game and everything. So even though it's just a few practices, those few practices are better than nothing at all, really, until the spring. So that's pretty big time. And talking about bowl game, I, I didn't really have this as a note, but just remembering it from seeing it this week, Brock Martin announcing that, you know, he's going to be going to the NFL, but will play in the bowl game. So kind of the opposite of what you normally see announcements for, you know, they'll forego the bowl game to get ready for the draft. Brock Martin is saying he'll be back in his, his message on Twitter was just awesome. Kind of everybody he thanked and he gave specific short reasons for thanking everybody. It was really cool. He had his own paragraph for coach glass. So you can obviously see the impact he has the million dollar man coach glass. So pretty awesome there. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to put a graphic out uh, this evening announcing the release of the podcast tomorrow. Now I love it. You, you're like exactly right. <laughs> Respect my decision to post the podcast tomorrow. Um, <laughs> You really don't see that very often. And, and in this age of opting out and, uh, you know, I probably should walk something back that I think I've heard from a couple people now that I said that I was not excited for the bowl game. Not true. Totally excited. <laughs> I've never not been excited. I, I actually said that. Oh, so I'm being. Projected. And you may have agreed with me. I yeah, I think you're getting kind of thrown under the bus for something that I said. Okay, okay. Well, that and then I walked it back. That would not be the first time that's happened. So that would make <laughs> a lot more sense. But <laughs> move, moving things right along, um, I'm excited for this. I love the brand matchup, but it's awesome to see guys like Brock Martin who do not have to come back. And and quite frankly, those are the guys who have not come back to play in a ball game. It's awesome to see that. Give it one more ride. And uh, I would expect him to come out and have quite a game in, in that type of setting. Yeah, I, I'm, I am excited for the bowl game. Just kind of changing my thoughts now that I, I didn't really know until recently, like I said, about the practices and not that those guys are going to play in the game. That just got me fired up in general. Brock Martin being back's awesome. 
possibly seeing Hunter Woodard out there, one of my favorite offensive linemen, one of my favorite players on this team. That's going to be really cool. So there's things to get excited about for sure. And uh, apologies if that was my fault, Kate. I, I hate that you took the fall what you, for that. What, do you, if, what so. are you going to do if if Oklahoma State runs some counter in in Arizona? Like, are you going to explode? <laughs> it would be pretty awesome. I love when they do. I always call it out in my Twitter threads when they do it, probably once or twice a game. So it'll be fun to see. It it'll be a lot more fun to see as we move into next year with the you know true ones, true depth chart that we're going to see going into next season but just seeing it in the bowl game would be awesome as well yeah no question and i mean outside of the the transfer portal entries i wouldn't expect a whole lot more bowl opt-outs i mean there, you know you could see a jason taylor opt-out but i i mean what you're going to see is the guys going into next year and they'll play so i'm excited about that we should get a good look at you know some of the key pieces of what this team should look like next year Okay, that's a great segue into the transfer portal because I wanted to start off, if it's okay with you, talking about some of the guys that announced they're returning since we podcasted last. Yeah, love it. I can't wait. Let's open it up. <laughs> so one guy you just mentioned, he hasn't come out and officially announced it, but folks report has reported that Jason Taylor has gotten an NIL deal and they alluded to the fact that he will be back next season. And from things we've heard outside of Pokes Report, it sounds like he is going to be back. He recently was named the Walter Camp, to the Walter Camp All-America team. It marks the 28th time that an Oklahoma State footballers earned a spot, and they've been recognizing that since 2008. So pretty big time for him. It's also the sixth consecutive season Oklahoma State's had somebody on that Walter Camp All-America team, which is pretty cool. But if Jason Taylor is back... With some of the guys we already talked about, Kendall Daniels, Colin Oliver, getting Justin Wright, obviously Jabbar Muhammad, Corey Black, that's big time. It's it's it establishes you at that position where we've talked about safety as you might take a flyer on somebody in the portal. Not that Lyric Rawls wouldn't be capable. There there's some guys back there, but man, it really gives you what I would expect to be one of the top if not the top safety duo in the big 12 and then you look as you just said Corey black jabbar muhammad fill out that uh position that harper is leaving now i think you've got a really good shot uh to have a a dominant secondary going into next year yeah you just named five guys and you're only having to replace one of them right that's big time absolutely and then you you're getting none of the none of the younger safeties transferred. You had Kanai and leave, so you've got your Lyric Rawls back. You're bringing in Ladarius Webb, Trey Rucker. From everything I've heard, still on the roster. You've got Ray Raymond Gay, DeClevion Beeman, all these guys still on your roster. Not to mention the returning All American and the playmaker himself, Jason Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I. That that one's hard to overstate. I, I think it solidifies you on the back end. It also gives Kendall Daniels a chance next year to be the guy at that other spot and really show out. I mean, he showed flashes late in the season, kind of all throughout the season, but really kind of consistently popped. I, I, I can't wait to see what the back end of that defense looks like. Now, it's not going to matter if they can't address the interior defensive line because they'll all be relied on so heavily in run support that it may not matter, but that's a conversation for probably later in the show. Yeah, completely agree. 
along with Taylor, Ollie Gordon had officially announced, I believe that was shortly after the podcast, we're flipping to the offensive side of the ball. He's saying he's all in. Everything we've heard, he'll be back. He should take that RB1 spot, even with Sean Tyler coming in, who we'll get to out of the transfer portal. It should be Ollie's backfield to kind of lead next season. We've heard, you know, at times he's a little vocal, maybe a little too vocal in practice, but there's no question that he has the vocal leadership side of everything down if he was to take over that RB, RB1 spot. And we've seen the skill flash and excited to see it again in the bowl game. I think with a full another year and offseason in this system, Ollie Gordon is going to really break out next year. And I, obviously that's not a hot take with how highly recruited he was and how highly ranked of a recruit. But I truly believe that he's going to be a really, really solid back next year. Uh, I, I feel the same way. And with what could potentially be an improved offensive line, a deeper offensive line, I do think the possibility is there for Ollie Gordon to take a significant step forward in his, in his ability. Um, he showed flashes much like a Kendall Daniels did. I, I do think that the opportunity will be there for him uh, more so than it was this year. I also want to say, I don't think you keep Ollie and Jason without really doing some work in NIL. So let's, let's just pause for a second because Ollie, Colin Oliver, Kendall Daniels, and Jason Taylor, all guys that we at one point discussed as the, these are concerning players. Like anybody in that top tier of, of player could get poached. There's no question about it. Mason Cobb would be on that list. But right now, you've kept those four, assuming Jason Taylor does come back, and really have only lost Mason Cobb and Spencer Sanders out of that top echelon of players. And I'm not dogging any of them. I, I don't think they're irreplaceable. I think Cobb is a huge loss. I think Sanders is a guy that also is a big loss, but I don't think either of them are season breakers going into next year. So what I want to do is give a little credit on the NIL approach. Like that's, that's pretty significant. You got to recruit your own players and it appears that Oklahoma state's doing just that. Yeah. And that was kind of all I had on players returning because we got a question about some of the super seniors. So we can get to that later, but Hey, talking about the NIL just kind of leads me into some of these transfer portal commits and being able to get a power five guy like a Dijon Stribling. It's, it's the opposite of what we've been told is happening in the transfer portal. Dijon Stribling was their top receiver this last year. He's an athletic freak. He looks like Des, um, (laughs) maybe not is Des, but looks like him. And is one of those examples of when Tay Martin came, when a Jalen Warren came, it's like, you could see that working out, but Stribling's like a guy that you could potentially plug in at one of those key spots on the perimeter and compete next year. I mean, Jaden Bray, we believe in him. We love him, but he was hurt all year. That that may be a spot that's up for grabs next year. That may be a, a competition between those two, a Shetron. I, I love it, and I don't think that happens without a, a thoughtful approach to NIL and the transfer portal. Yes, and and for those of you who don't know, I did a pretty bad introduction there. Dijon Stribling, Washington State wide receiver, 6'3", 205, 602 yards receiving last year, 79 targets, 51 receptions, and five touchdowns. Primarily lines up, up out wide, did some things in the slot, mainly out of like trips and things like that. Former three-star, visited Oklahoma State last weekend, 
committed shortly after, and he's got two years of eligibility remaining. He also played uh, in all 13 games as a true freshman, was Pac-12 honorable mention. It looked to me he was primarily lining up on the left side of the formation. I need to dive in fully. I'll do a Twitter thread on him and everything. Kind of leads you to believe he'd fit more in that X position, that Bryson Green, right. Marcel Aitman, that role, which Tay Martin even played as well at times when he was here. So I think that's where he would line up. And he'd, you mentioned Jaden Bray. If you're looking at the depth chart, we saw Bray line up at the Z when he was healthy as well. Yep along with Stefan Johnson. So if those two guys kind of take over that Z spot and then you've got Bryson Green, Talon Shetron, and Stribling at the X, that's five receivers you I think you feel I know Shetron hasn't really we haven't seen a lot of them. Hopefully we see some in the bowl game. But those are five guys you feel really confident about. And with you know guys like Stribling and Shetron, possibly high ceiling breakout potential guys, especially if you're going off of the historical with Tay Martin and if Shibley can do something like that. And just with how highly Shetron was recruited, not to mention a guy like Bryson green, which we kind of know who he is, but he's still still developing as, as well into a really talented player. And then those two guys at Z, we know they have the high ceiling potential. Yeah. It, being an Oklahoma state fan and a college football fan in the age of the transfer portal is like, there is no happy medium because my, my first thought is, Wow, that's great. Is there enough football to go around for, for five guys that are going to command a lot of targets? And, and that's not even talking about Brennan Presley and JP. No, I 100% it's not, but it absolutely includes them, especially in a potentially more spread out or, or air heavy offense next year with a Garrett Rangel, for example, leading the show. I That's my first thought is awesome. Who's going to <laughs> who's going to separate themselves out of that group because somebody's going to have to, and then somebody's going to get upset and it could happen. You could see people, you could see somebody in that group enter the portal. I wouldn't be stunned with the addition of a, a Deshaun Stribling. I wouldn't be stunned. Yeah. It, it's going to be, the, there could still be a guy or two that leaves after the bowl game, right? Because you have until January 18th to enter. That's correct. Right. Yeah. That's I, the date it ends. 18th. The, yeah. yeah. So January 18th, so you could still enter. I don't expect many more to, I, I think at max two, but it could with a guy like Stribling coming in, maybe you see a receiver transfer out. I wouldn't, I'm leaning a little more towards that not happening just with the fact that it's kind of two guys at each spot because Shetron's still so young. You would think he'd be fine kind of with another year to develop, but Again, he was a really highly rated recruit. We saw what happened with Braylon Presley. So there's always, like you said, the possibility that that happens. But hopefully it doesn't because if they go into the next season with all these guys, I think it's really big time. But, Kate, I wanted to kind of, as we go through these transfer portal commits, and I didn't talk to you about this before. So if you hate this idea, let's just do it for this one. <laughs> you can tell me. But... I kind of wanted to grade some of these pickups. I, I don't have to do straight up letter grade every time, but I think Stribling is an A. Yeah, I mean, I, I think competition at that role is a good thing. We talked a lot about last year. Yes, I think Bryson Green's a good player. Yes, I think Stephon Johnson's a good player. There were a lot of times, though, you and I talked about route running and the inability to separate at the line. That wasn't necessarily the case when you go back and watch Deshaun Stribling. I, I think they were looking for somebody 
to get off the line a little bit better. And Bryson Green, I don't know if we even talked about this, but he was number one in the Big 12 in contested catches attempted. So what we saw was the truth, and I, I don't think that competition in that room hurts. So I, I agree with you. It's an A, and the wide receiver room is the opposite of what the defensive line is right now. It's like, is there enough football for those guys? And then it's like on the defensive line, it's like, or is there enough guys to play football up there is where I'm kind of at, but we'll get to them. Yeah. I think position and need wise, it's probably not an a, but just overall going get a power five guy oh, who yeah. is a key piece on this Washington state team. And the thing to me, Kate is we went into last season with a question, who is going to be your go-to guy? Who's going to be your Tay Martin, your Tylen Wallace, someone like that, your James Washington, and not saying someone needed to be as talented as those guys were. We're talking about all guys who you know, have made it into the NFL in some aspect or another. But due to injuries, due to other things, due to youth and inexperience, injuries at quarterback, I don't think anybody really separated themselves as a true go-to guy, we saw Bryson Green have some really solid games, and then we saw him go away. We saw Braden Johnson put up some big numbers and then have some drops here and there and some injury issues. So I think this is Oklahoma State's coaching staff saying, hey, we're going to go get this top-tier guy because we think nobody really kind of proved themselves as the go-to guy. So like you mentioned, it ups the competition with everybody else to kind of elevate their play and also Stribling himself could be that guy. Yeah, it was a long, it was a long season and nobody separated themselves. So I applaud the coaching staff for, for doing that. And outs just to stay on offense before we switch to the two guys on the defensive side of the ball, which one we kind of talked about last week, but Sean Tyler, Western Michigan running back. This is probably the top tier among the top tier skill position guys out of the group of five and Oklahoma state's able to land him. He's rushed for 2,157 yards and 16 touchdowns over the past two seasons at Western Michigan, five, eight, 185 pounds. So think of like a justice Hill kind of size there. He's also a capable receiver, 43 receptions for 338 yards and three touchdowns. And he also has three kickoff returns for touchdowns. Really dynamic, very fast, one year of eligibility remaining as a graduate transfer. And I think this is Oklahoma State going after a guy to see if he can come in there, bring some experience with Dom moving out. And I think it's a great pickup because he's quite a bit different, not only in size, but in skill set than an Ollie Gordon. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, if we don't see a two-back set with those two, it's going to be a mistake because I don't know how you defend that looking at it as a linebacker in this conference. It's like Ollie on this side, and then you've got a two-time thousand-yard running back with the ability to split out of the backfield who's not undersized but is kind of a like ball of lightning. Like That's kind of his style. He can hit the home run. I don't know how you would defend that, but I this was a pickup I was not expecting. I thought if he got in the portal and stayed there for too long, he'd he'd get calls from, you know, an Auburn or an Alabama or or teams like that, a Texas, for example, that are at, of need of a running back. Oklahoma State, you know, with Dom leaving, it opens up a spot to, to say, hey, come compete for that number two spot. My question is. How does Jaden Nixon feel about that? We don't know. We'll see. But I think this is an upgrade, like on off the jump over, you know, 
the running back room this past year. I think I think this will be a better position going into next year. I think grading this one out, I would say, you know, there were guys like Ray Davis from Vanderbilt, some power five guys out there who maybe you would have liked to see, but I don't think you, I don't, so I don't think you can give this like an A plus, but I'm not trying to downgrade this at all. It is a big time pickup. And the thing that I love, Kate, is what we talked about in the running back room last year so many times. I think you were the first one to call it out and rightfully so the lack of kind of meshing together of the pieces in the running back room. Yeah. It was like not the skills didn't really fit together or things that Ollie did, you know, he's so young. Do you want to throw him out there? Some of the past pro stuff may not be great with him at that time. This guy is like, I just mentioned basically the exact opposite in size from Ollie. And although they do some things both similarly well, you know, he's very, very fast. A guy that can break away has great balance, which is similar to Ollie, but the speed factor is there, the kind of return game factor. So I think they mesh really well together. And not to mention if you add in, you know, your Jaden Nixon's and if they bring in somebody else, because like I said, Middleton is not there anymore either, along with Dom. So I think they mesh really well together. We'll see, but on paper, they mesh really well together. And I really like what Tyler brings to the table. He, you know, at Western Michigan, they did some counter gap scheme stuff. They ran things like power. They did some inside zone. He looks to have really good vision as well, which is yeah. something we kind of critique DeAndre Jackson and Dominic Richardson on. And then I, I know I just said it, but the balance, the the way he's able to kind of bounce off or fight through contact and keep his feet at 5'8", 185 pounds is extremely impressive. No, I'm a huge fan. I, I think it complements this style well. I know he was running in a, you know, a primarily like pro style attack, that counter and gap scheme. However, he showed really good vertical ability and it kind of reminded me of a Jalen Warren, not in the, you know, going to run, run you over and break eight tackles kind of running back but just the ability to cut things back when it's not necessarily there or see something that wasn't necessarily blocked immediately for you. Um, it was the thing we were, you know, banging on pots and pans for all year. It was like, somebody please cut back. Somebody please make a move and make somebody miss. I think Sean Tyler is that player. Um, and I, I just love the pickup. I think he complements the offense well. I think he complements the existing running back room well. Um, and I could see a... a uh, a scenario where all three of those guys in Jaden, Ollie, and now Sean Tyler could get along and, and figure things out. I mean, we saw Jaden out of the backfield this year. He was, he was very good. Yeah. hundred percent. And if you want to check this guy out, I'm obviously going to do a Twitter thread on him, but he has a pretty cool highlight video on uh, from, I believe it was last season on YouTube and there's if you want to watch a full game and get a taste of this guy, I would watch the Central Michigan game in the pouring snow where he had 177 yards and a touchdown. It's pretty wild just to see the amount of snow on the field. That there's one touchdown where you can't. Yeah, you can't see even the field. see any snow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's pretty awesome. Okay, flipping to the other side of the ballcade, we talked about this guy a lot last week because we had heard he was going to commit, and then shortly after the pod, he did. Tulsa linebacker Justin Wright. We kind of broke him down, but just as a reminder, 6'2", 244-pound linebacker playing that middle linebacker spot. Think of where Mason Cobb played. Played over 2,100 snaps from 2018 to 2022 for the Golden Hurricane. He's got one year left. If you haven't checked out our Twitter thread, 
on him with some film breakdown there. Go check it out. It was a lot of fun learning a little bit more about this guy. Had some pretty big offers. We talked about Iowa State, Minnesota, Kansas, Wake Forest, Oklahoma State was able to get him. And he may lead to them possibly getting Tulsa defensive end transfer, Anthony Goodlow as well, their former roommates. So a big time get. He was rated as the number five linebacker in the transfer portal by 247. This one, Kate, I think you almost have to grade this one in A because it filled an immediate <laughs> position of need. <laughs> so it's kind of a gimme there. But I don't personally think, before I flip it over to you, I don't personally think this is a one-for-one one swap with Cobb. Agreed. Wright definitely has the experience factor. I think he's a really good player, but he is not as dynamic a playmaker as Cobb is. I wouldn't expect those shooting through the gap, diving tackles on a running back that's about to break to the perimeter, tackle for loss for three yards. Probably not as many of those. Probably won't be as good in man coverage, but he's very smart and he's not afraid to hit somebody. That's that's what it was for me as I watched him. He was He's a pretty heady linebacker, and I think that will be a welcomed addition to that. I mean, I, Cobb's instincts and athleticism were off the charts last year. I do think, though, that Justin Wright might bring a little bit of um, physicality in the run game that may have been missing at times. However, that's not a knock on Cobb. I just it's a strength of rights. So I'll be interested to see how that complements, you know, assuming a Xavier Benson is back. Let's see how that that room operates now with a Justin Wright, who appears to be a a one of the smarter guys on the football field. That's that's kind of the way I took it. He's always in the right spot. It just may take him a little bit longer to get there than a you know dynamic playmaker and Mason Cobb. And not saying that Cobb wasn't a smart player, but he also yeah, no. lacked in-game experience. And the fact that Wright has so much, that will probably up the play of a Benson or a Nick Martin at that weak side linebacker spot because – we saw at times they both looked a little out of sorts. So if Wright can come in, in the bowl prep, in the spring, learn the scheme, he can help those guys on field and maybe, you know, lead to less busted, you know, assignments, not fitting your gaps correctly. So kind of be more like a coach on the field. So I'm hoping that plays out how I think it will. Little worried, my only big concern, little worried about just because I haven't seen him in a ton of these situations. And I was able to watch three of their games last season in man coverage teams could, you know, we talked about this during the season this year with Oklahoma state's linebackers with Benson and Cobb teams could scheme some things up, some crossers, things like that when they know Oklahoma state is in man coverage and exploit maybe some of that lack of dynamic athletic ability and foot speed that Wright has. I don't think it'll be a huge issue. He's obviously still performed really well through over 2,100 snaps, but that would be kind of my one concern. I think for well, let's Wright. go, let's go back to the secondary, you know, as you talk about how these units complement each other, this is why a Jason Taylor coming back is a helpful thing. You're exactly right. I mean, we saw, you know, let's, let's go back to uh, the Texas game multiple times, you know, this this pre-snap motion is fooling a linebacker or a safety or both at the same time. I would expect that to not be the case most of the time with a right. And I would think Benson, some of that's worked out of his system as he's got another full year under his belt. So I agree with you. It is a concern as you you definitely lose a little bit of athleticism there. But I think you could make up for it in being in the right 
you know, spot most of the time. Yeah. And, you know, with Wright coming in and guys like Jeff Robertson coming back from injury, linebacker maybe could be another spot where one of the depth guys flips into the portal after the bowl game. I could definitely see that just now with your Donovan Stevens, Nick Martin, Xavier Benson, Lamont Bishop, Jeff Robertson, all these guys out there and some of the guys coming in. It, that could be a spot along, you know, you mentioned wide receiver where I could see somebody maybe jump into the portal, but hopefully not. Well, and Jeff Robertson was a guy we talked about a lot in the offseason and, and you know, has a, a season-ending foot injury. We never saw him, but you were all over it. You thought he was going to be a guy that contributes, and you're exactly right. I could see a depth piece going, let's just pray it's not Nick Martin. Don't be Nick yeah, Martin. If, we love that if guy. If I had to guess, it would probably be a bishop. Yeah. Because that would be, he's kind of that backup Mike linebacker spot. So, you know, if, if he doesn't want to compete with Wright for that position and wants to try to go somewhere that maybe has a gap, I could see that. Hopefully not because I love Lamont Bishop. I haven't heard anything. I was just a complete guess after we were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And then the last one, we're not going to hit on him because we went over, he had committed before last week, just to mention along with the other commits, not really transfer portal because he's coming from Juco, but Darius Webb Jr. That'll be big time again. Apparently, he can play safety as well. I've only seen him play corner in the film I've watched, but every article I've read on him says that he can also play safety. If he can play corner, he can probably play that nickel spot. So that that's you know immediate depth piece, backup corner, strike safety, which is Oklahoma State's nickel position. Pretty big time. Has a great pedigree with his dad being a former NFL Super Bowl winner. Really excited to see what he can do. I think he's a guy that can come in and contribute in the two deep right away. But if he needs a year in coach Glass's system, he's a little on the smaller side, 5'10, 170. Not a huge deal because he'll be here for a while. Yeah, I, I like him a lot, man. I I I wonder where he fits in next season immediately. But if he comes in and he's, you know, one of those, you know, first guys off, I would think that's a, a good situation to be in, but Thomas Harper's spot's going to be open, and that may be a spot, as you said, that he he may figure to slot in. So I, I can't wait to see. You know, he comes from good lineage, so let's see. Kate, I just can't wait until the transfer portal starts dwindling down a little bit and I can start firing out these depth charts. <laughs> <laughs> You've been, you're ready to go with the depth chart. I know you walk around with a copy in your back pocket. You take some notes. You got two. You got one copy for your notes, one for you know the final. I know you got that. I literally, we were watching we're watching a show, my wife and I, and she was like, what are you looking at? And I was like, just staring at this uh, depth chart, projected depth chart. And she was like, are you like taking notes or something? And I was like, I'm just thinking on it. Yeah, just just, just noodling on where Aiden Kelly fits in and everything, you know, <laughs> just deep uh, thinking. <laughs> a weird guy. I'm a weird guy. No, you're so, not. And we're all better for it. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> Thankful for that. Hey, we're hopping in the portal, but I just wanted to preface this again. You and I aren't going to go digging in the portal until Oklahoma State stops throwing these offers out. There's no point. At the point when Oklahoma State stops offering guys is when we really start digging for gold. Because I, at this point, it's like we know commitments are coming. So why would we go dig for, you know, 10 guys out of the portal they may look at? You're exactly right. They're, they're, they're active right now. Yeah. And the thing was last year, we mentioned it, but they threw out like six offers right off the bat. And then we didn't hear anything. They were all kind of silent. The Prince Pines thing. This so year, weird. It's, it's pretty loud. So we're able to you know, actually dive in and look these guys up. But 
I wanted to start with a recent one, which we don't even know if there's an official offer. We just know he's coming to visit because this is definitely the most exciting and I think most intriguing one, even though you and I are both interior defensive line, O-line, or our 1A, 1B positions of need. Quarterback is kind of up there as well. And folks report had previously announced earlier this week and made a comment last week that there was going to be a quarterback visitor this upcoming weekend, but no mention of who it was until on three broke the news earlier today. Former Virginia Cavalier Brennan Armstrong will be making his way to Stillwater. He'll be visiting OSU and he'll also be visiting Wisconsin. Yes. Oklahoma state's bowl opponent. Coincidentally. What are your thoughts, Cade? Well, number one, I think it puts any uh, unrest about the quarterback, uh, the willingness from Oklahoma State to take a quarterback out of the portal. There was a lot of people that were like, they're not going to do it. I had been told that they're not going to do it. I'm like, I don't believe it. I I do not believe that they're going to run in to 2023 with that quarterback room. And what do they do? They get Brennan Armstrong on campus. He's he was a 4000 yard passer in 2021. He did not have a great year in 2022. There was a lot going on with Virginia. I, some coaching changes. Obviously, the end of their season with you know their team, the situation with the three teammates that were murdered. Um, Armstrong is a talent. He's a lefty with a huge arm, some mobility, and he satisfies what I think you and I are begging for, which is at least a one-year rental to get Rangel and Flores another offseason and another season under their belts. Yeah, this is big time. He was one of the names when we mentioned quarterbacks in the portal last week, just kind of listing guys off. We mentioned him, got a shout out to our friend of the pod, Alex Fuller. This is a guy he's been clamoring for since the portal opened a couple weeks ago. This is, this is pretty significant news. I I don't, you know, I, I personally think Spencer Sanders is an all around more talented quarterback, but we talked about the drop off from Spencer Sanders to Garrett Rangel, Gunnar Gundy, Zane Flores. You're talking about a true freshman, a guy who in Gunnar Gundy we love, but we think of him as more of a game manager, maybe not a Big 12 championship caliber quarterback. And no knock on him. That's just how you and I have evaluated him. And Garrett Rangel, who we, along with the coaching staff, believes has a high ceiling. But you're bringing back Preston Wilson, Cole Birmingham. There's still a... a long shot chance Hunter Woodard comes back. Etienne, Brooks, you can pick up a couple guys in the portal. We talked about Stribling, Bray, Ollie Gordon. Now you've got Sean Tyler. There's too many pieces on this offense, I think, personally, to go into next season as a development year for Rangel. I think you take the one-year rental, like you said, give these quarterbacks a year to develop, another year to develop for Rangel, and a year to develop for Flores, and then see what you've got and have them battle it out going to the next year. With these offensive linemen coming back and with the skill guys I just mentioned, I just think you had to go get a one- or two-year eligibility left QB from the portal. Yeah, I, I think the reasons are obvious, and, and you and I have been on that from the beginning. Here's, here's my question. Brennan Armstrong is probably a top 10 quarterback in the, in the transfer portal right now. Top I think he's 12. ranked nine on 247. Okay, so there you go. If he's on campus – which I think is a significant win already. I don't know what Oklahoma State was able to put together to get a quarterback like that with you know, presumably an offer from Wisconsin, interest from others. It gives me some confidence that they're going to compete for a, a top-tier 
transfer portal quarterback. They're losing one in Spencer Sanders, but they very very well may pull in uh, one of similar caliber. And I think Brendan Armstrong is that. I mean, when I saw that, I think he's the difference next year between a six-win season and then a season that you don't really know where the ceiling could be. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, you brought up kind of his his pros, his intangibles. I just kind of wanted to hit on that a little bit more. Very accurate. You mentioned left-handed. He's got a little bit, not just the left-handed funky mechanics, but he, he in general has a little bit of a funky release, especially when he's trying to put touch on the ball down the field. He's got good enough arm talent. I don't think it's Spencer Sanders level, but like you mentioned, it's there. He loves throwing down the field. He's He does not get rattled. He's got kind of that Spencer Sanders confidence in him where he will throw the ball into tight windows. He will try to make the play a little Brett Favre, Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield-ish, even if that means throwing an interception here and there. Mobile, not, not Spencer Sanders mobile, but he's not just a you know, a pocket passing quarterback that can move a little bit. This is a zone read guy that can make people miss in open space. He's very athletic, fast enough. And I really like what I've seen. So you mentioned in 2021, he threw for 4,449 yards, 31 TDs, 10 picks. In 2022, 2,210 yards, 7 TDs, 12 interceptions. He had almost 100 and I think 40 fewer attempts they had played less games. You mentioned with the tragedy that happened there, some of their games were canceled. They also switched offensive coordinators, offensive line coach. They lost multiple offensive linemen. So he he went into with a whole new offense. He had gone from kind of that smash mouth power spread air raid, which we've heard some people kind of compare Oklahoma State's offense to at times, not so much the Casey Dunn, recent offenses we've seen, but some of the Mike Gundy offenses to that, to more of the Clemson-style offense with Tony Elliott there. And it just didn't really suit him very well. I think coming into Oklahoma State's offense, he could really excel. And I think this is a as perfect a fit as you're going to get from the transfer portal as far as quarterback goes. That's a one-year rental. He he just he throws the ball down the field with such great touch that I I feel like Oklahoma State's offense could be unlocked a little bit with a a player of his caliber. I'm not knocking Spencer's down the field ability either. At times though, this is something you and I talked about. Struggled to connect consistently on the deep ball. You go watch Brennan Armstrong. That's not really the case. I will agree with you on his release. It's almost like when he's putting some touch on it, it's almost like he's shooting a floater. You know, like a running floater like it, in the lane. It looks like it's almost like he's like stopping his arm <laughs> and just letting it look like, like you said, like a floater. Like he's just letting the ball loose at a weird spot. I mean, well, you can't let a cannon like that rip at all times. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it. you, you got to tame the beast. To his credit, too, he's left-handed. It always looks a little funky coming out of a left-hander's hand. As opposed to, speaking basketball, left-handed basketball shot normally looks prettier than the right-handed shot, but the <laughs> left-handed throw looks a little funky. Yeah, agreed. I I like his skill set. Again, 6'2", 210, I, I, I think he'd be a perfect fit. And agree with you, I'm not sure that there is a a better option to replace Spencer Sanders out of a one-year rental than a player like him. I, I love it. 
I ask you right now, you, uh, you, neither of us, I don't think I've heard very much on what exactly he's thinking. He hasn't even visited yet, but he's visiting Wisconsin. Him. If it's just, if it's just between us and Wisconsin, let's say nobody else gets in the mix. I'll go 50, 50. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he's, he's <laughs> visiting Wisconsin first. So that that's a little unsettling, but that offense stinks. I mean, it's, it's a classic pro style offense. You don't know what fickle's going to do. I'm sure he's going to change some things. But I would think you could just turn the tape on for Brennan Armstrong and just say, hey, I mean, do you want to run this offense? You want to you want to kind of fill that Spencer Sanders role? I think that would be a pretty attractive offer. I mean, he's kind of a quarterback that I think could embrace like a Clint Shelf type of, you know, role and and uh style of play. I don't expect Oklahoma State to mold the offense around him, but I I do think the system fits him better here than it does at Wisconsin. And he's like we mentioned, he's not that much different skill set wise than a Spencer Sander. They right. don't do all the same things well that each other does, but he's athletic. He's a good runner. He could run the exact same plays and playbook and concepts that we've seen from Spencer Sanders and not have a ton of issues with it. Obviously, some of those deep, far hash throws, he's not going to throw on a rope as well as Sanders does and things like that, but I don't think he would struggle with the current playbook. And I, I know fans are going to be like, we don't want to run the current playbook, but just <laughs> to, to compare it to what Oklahoma State has been running. Yeah, good call out there. You're exactly right. Somebody probably in the car just saying, we don't want the same quarterback. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, get ready, because I think that's the type of player that they're going to want to go after. Yes, agreed. And, uh, okay, next, if if you're good on Armstrong, I wanted to hit on two guys. We don't have to go through everybody in the portal again. I did want to note, I went through the entire portal last night on on three, <laughs> two, four, well, not entire portal, sorry. All of the Oklahoma State offers are interested in. On three, two, four, seven, and I checked Twitter as well, and I didn't see anybody committed outside of Joshua Braun, the Florida O-lineman that committed to Arkansas that Oklahoma State has offered or taken on a visit yet. So good news. A lot of guys are still in play. There's some guys like Ray Davis, who we mentioned earlier from Vanderbilt. Looks like Kentucky is probably going to be where he goes. We can mention some other guys we think are going to go certain spots. Xavier Guillory, the Idaho State wide receiver, just got an OU offer yesterday, and he seemed really excited about it. So we'll talk through some more of those. But I wanted to mention a guy you noted earlier, Dalton Cooper, Texas state left tackle played 807 snaps at left tackle last year. He's a monster six, seven, two eighty, two years of eligibility remaining. You and I both think he's, he announced on Twitter. He's going to make his commitment soon. It may even happen during this podcast. We both think he's an Oklahoma state lock. Am I wrong there? Yeah, no, I, I feel really good about this one. Um, and my gosh, is it a, huge addition at a position of need. Let's say you go get him and a Savion Washington. This could disqualify Savion Washington. Who knows? But now you're talking about a, a do you have this? Am I stealing your thunder? If I, if I what? go, well, let's say Dalton Cooper, he comes, he's a multiple time, all Sunbelt winner. Where does he slide in on the death chart to you? Cade, I, I know he's a little slender, but if he can get here at bowl prep time, work through the spring, work through the offseason, we saw, and not saying Charlie Dickey's going to be back, but we saw Dickey work some of these guys in that were first-year there guys, like a Brooks. 
I think he could compete with Etienne for that starting spot. And I don't, I don't know how hot of a take that is. Man, wouldn't that be crazy? I mean, and maybe he thinks he can too. And maybe that's why he's coming here. I mean, I, at the very least, does that not give you options? I mean, is Etienne, does he have to be left tackle? Could he slot to right tackle and Dalton Cooper go to left? I mean, now you have options. And that's what Oklahoma State has not had for so long on the offensive line, it feels like. If you get if you get Washington, who plays right tackle, who right. we can move to next, if you get Cooper in Washington, that gives you Etienne, Birmingham, Wilson, let's say Brooks, let's just say Woodard's gone for the sake of argument, yeah. Kowecki, with the ability to flex in Cooper and Washington at either tackle spot. We don't know what Mahalski and Matirko are going to do, but both guys who have experience at guard, Mahalski center as well, Davis Dotson, Calvin Hervey, guys we haven't even really talked about a lot, younger guys that could fit in the mix. That's a lot of offensive linemen I just listed out. And yeah. I know people are going to say we had a lot of those guys last year, didn't perform really well. We didn't have a lot of those guys together playing at the same time. Yeah, and agreed. I know there could be injuries again next season, but if you had a Cooper and a Washington, that really ups your depth. And I think it ups the skill level from what we had last season, even as far as depth goes. Yeah, no question. I mean, my one of my first thoughts was, well, does Oklahoma State stop with a Dalton Cooper and or a Savion Washington? My answer would be no. I would think anybody on that offensive line, you know, minus a Preston Wilson and a Cole Birmingham are competable. I mean, Jason Brooks, even I do think should have been on that starting line at the beginning of the year and throughout all year. However, I would say at this point, the offensive line is a clean slate, open book, fill it with as many talented guys as you can and make them compete. I would say every one of them has to compete. Yeah. And so in the recruiting class right now, you have Jack and Dean in the 2023 class, you have Jack and Dean and Jacoby Sanders committed, right? So there's offensive linemen. You bring in Cooper and Washington. I still think you get one more. I think you want to take five in this, you know, quote unquote, 2023 class, which includes transfer portal. I think you need, I think you need five. So I think you're right. I think you'd want to go get one more, even if you get both of those guys. But speaking of Washington, we talked about him a little bit. Kent State, 6'8", 342 pounder. All our offensive linemen could start at center. Mike Boynton <laughs> with Etienne Washington and Cooper. He started 10 games for the Golden Flashes this past season. Primarily right tackle, as I said, played a little bit at uh, right guard and left tackle. Two years of eligibility remaining. He just visited. Hearing some good things. We haven't seen a commitment yet. I know Kentucky, NC State are in play. How are you feeling about Washington? I think with the fact that Cooper's uh impending commitment feels so imminent it makes me feel a little less positive about where things are with Savion Washington I think the longer that visit gets in the rear view the easier it would be to see him going somewhere else but I, I love the fact that they're able to get him on campus I mean he's he was one of the top guys in the portal that we saw early on it was like man he'd fill a position of need they got him on campus whether they close the deal or not I still think that's another one of those kind of like Brandon Armstrong. If they don't close the deal with him, I think it's going to be okay. I think they're going to find somebody at both of those spots to fill those needs. I agree. And with kind of like the Armstrong thing, and like we talked about with last season in the transfer portal, 
we don't know of every offer. We don't know of every guy they're right. interested in. They try to keep some of this stuff quiet so they can kind of sneak somebody in for a visit, try to get them to commit without people knowing, without it kind of alerting other teams. Not that they don't know these guys are out there, but there's so many guys in the portal. It's I think it's good for teams to be a little bit more on the kind of quiet and sneaky side sometimes. I, I agree 100%. I mean, and, and how many times have, teams waited to follow Oklahoma state on an offer, you know, kid Oklahoma state finds somebody two star out of the panhandle. And all of a sudden Texas tech comes calling and all of a sudden TCU comes calling Oklahoma state has been at the forefront of that for a long time. And it wouldn't be the first time. Okay. Kid, you cool running quickly through some of these guys and just kind of where there may be trending. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Okay. And stop me at any time and we can hit on any of them. Devin Phillips, the defensive tackle from Colorado State. One season left to play. Visited KU this weekend. He entered the portal a while ago. I'm not, I haven't really heard very much. He's got quite a few offers now. I would probably say he doesn't end up at Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, it feels that way. It's just been a long time kind of process how long has he been in the portal several it's weeks october now. i believe oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Like he entered back before before the portal officially opened. right right he announced his yeah. intent to enter the portal right yes so um anthony goodlow tulsa defensive end as i mentioned justin wright's roommate he's more i think of your defensive end walter shide tyler lacy style than an interior defensive lineman but may be able to flex that spot he's 6'4 286 he received an offer from ucla recently i know tcu's been in the mix i feel pretty good about oklahoma state here he visited last weekend when Wright came on his official the fact that he hasn't committed already is a little worrisome but i know some of these guys want to you know take a couple of visits and see what's out there I still feel pretty confident that he ends up at Oklahoma State. Yeah, I like it. It's it's kind of like Savion Washington. The longer it gets from that visit, the easier it is to see him going somewhere else. I feel like there might have been some waiting on a TCU offer. Um, who who truly knows where where that's headed? But it doesn't hurt to have his roommate already committed and on campus. So that's that's yeah, a pretty if, good development. If Wright can't get him to to come to Oklahoma state. I think you go ahead and just put him as a second stringer. <laughs> right. Can't close the deal. Punishment. How yeah. can we expect you to wrap up on tackles? If you can't wrap your roommate up. Here's one Kate. I'm a little disappointed about. I still think we could land him, but NEO junior college defensive tackle, Iman Oates. Yeah. This is a six foot three, 300 pounder. This is an interior defensive lineman. Everything was trending Oklahoma State, and then he just took an official to SMU. Looked like he had a great time. SMU seems really excited about it. I'm leaning a little bit towards maybe not Oklahoma State when at first I thought he was 100% lock. Well, I did too, especially being in, you know, NEO. Like that feels like an easy transition to Power 5 football. And I, I, what, I mean, what does SMU have other than deep pockets? And is that all that really kind of, I don't, I don't really get it. I would think that Oklahoma State would be a good fit there for him, but who knows? And, I, and I'll also say this, never blame a kid for taking all his visits. Never will. Oh, but for I, sure. I, I don't see how you would pick SMU over Oklahoma State. Just don't see it. Here's my question. Does SMU not understand that we need interior defensive linemen? Can they just chill out and yeah, back off? Buzz off. I mean, we, we obviously need this. 
<laughs> you and I need this. Yeah, they should just listen to us. But um, moving on, Dre McRae, talented wide receiver from Austin P, 5'9", 177-pounder. Just got a West Virginia offer not too long ago. I know Mississippi State, South Florida in the mix. I think now that Oklahoma State has landed Stribling, yeah. I don't know if they'll take any more wide receivers. So I'm going to kind of check him off the list. Not that Oklahoma State was in play anyway, but I think they may also be out on him if he's out on them as well. If if they took another wide receiver, I would start to ask some questions. Like, okay, do we have an exodus impending? What is happening? Uh, next, we've got Nick Gargiulio, the Yale offensive lineman, 6'5", 295-pounder. Boston College, Illinois, Kentucky, Mizzou, Rutgers, Syracuse. A lot of those schools up in that kind of Northeast area. It makes me think he's going to stay up in that area. Uh, we kind of heard some stuff about him in Oklahoma State and there being some interest there, and then it kind of died off. I don't know if he's in play, but you never know. Well, and it, it makes you wonder with kind of the interest they've got from some other guys that that maybe that's, that ship has sailed. Another Ivy Leaguer, Shane Cokes, Dartmouth defensive lineman, 6'3", 275 pounds. I think he's a little bit kind of in a tweener size between that defensive end and interior defensive lineman. I don't think he's an Oklahoma State lean. I know Toledo, Purdue, Miami Hurricanes recently offered. I'm not, I don't know if I'd be real upset, especially if they got good low. I don't think they need another guy this size. Right. But again, I haven't really heard anything recently on him, so I don't think there's much there. Yeah, I I think if if it's been that long between offer and nothing, I think we've we've been through this before, <laughs> you and I. We kind of can see the writing on the wall at this point. So Ray Davis, running back from Vandy. I mentioned him earlier. He's one of the top running backs in yeah. the portal. Two years remaining. Rushed for over a thousand yards last year. Kentucky seems to be the main player here. I just don't think Oklahoma State, after getting Sean Tyler, I think if they took another running back, it'd either be a high school guy or maybe even a JUCO guy, just somebody to kind of fill the depth, fill the Zach Middleton role. Well, and the, I think Ray Davis wants some big NIL money. Wasn't there some smoke that there was a Arkansas walk-on that transferred to Oklahoma State? That could be that depth piece. Yeah, uh, I think Buckner, Buckner is his last yeah, name. That's his name. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. We'll see what what that's about too as we move into the season. I mentioned Xavier Guillory. He seems super stoked about his OU offer. I saw <laughs> rivals OU with some comments from him. Don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and then moving on, a couple guys left. Tanner Arkin, the tight end from Colorado State, another Colorado State guy. Three years remaining, six five two forty five. Just went on an Illinois visit, but. I think Oklahoma State's in the mix here. I, I know that there was some smoke there about him liking that offer a lot. Tight end, obviously a position that we think Oklahoma State may be making more of a transition to that Blaine Green, Tabry Shetron style. He's kind of in between maybe a Cassidy, Logan Carter, and a Blaine Green, Tabry Shetron. But I think I think he'd be a good pickup. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect, there's no film to show him. I mean, <laughs> you know, you've got the cowboy back, but I it would be a conversation in the film room like, okay, well, let's have a seat. Let's take a look at what the cowboy back position does here, and it's just black screen. It's just I, <laughs> I wouldn't be attracted as a power five transferee. Like, 
I, I don't know how attracted I'd be to what has been done there before. I agree with you. I do think they're going to transition it. He kind of strikes me like a Blake Jarwin type, but again, it's more of a like, trust me on this type of pitch than it is like, let's turn the tape on. And I, for that reason, I don't love it, but I do think Oklahoma state has a shot here. Yeah. I think the next guy can Darren Ray. Safety from Tulsa, only one year of eligibility left. He's a big safety, 6'3", 208. Unless he could come in and immediately fill the strike position, I'm wondering if this was more of a just-in-case Kendall Daniels and Jason Taylor decide to leave. I know Arkansas's in play there. Uh, Probably offering him, since they offered Wright and Goodlow. I know, I'm sure they probably all know of each other. Not that it was a courtesy. He's a really good player. I just... I think he's probably going to end up somewhere else if Taylor officially announces he's coming back. And we've heard, I I wanted to wait on some of the super seniors until the Twitter question we got on it, but it sounds like Sean Michael Flanagan may give it one more go. (laughs) So I don't know if you really need in Darren Ray, a one-year guy. If you're you're going to get a multiple-year guy, a guy that you could plug in in future years, a depth piece there, I just don't think he's going to want to come and be a two. Well, the most surprising thing you said there, I did not know Sean Michael Flanagan was considering that, which is just like, I mean, if Spencer Sanders can't give it another go, I mean, <laughs> Sean Michael Flanagan's going to pick up the slack for his eighth year in Stillwater. I love it. But Ken Darren Ray, I do agree with you. It felt like, maybe not at the time, but now knowing what we know about Kendall Daniels, Jason Taylor, does feel like that might have been a contingency plan. So. Yeah, uh, two more guys, and then just real quick note so I don't forget. Next week, obviously, there'll be some guys that have probably committed. We will start going through just the guys that we think are in the mix, and then as that dwindles down, as Kate alluded to earlier, we'll start picking our own guys in there, and maybe we'll get one that Oklahoma State does offer like our Prince Pines last year. I would say we'll start swimming in the portal, but boy, I think we already are. I think we dove yeah. in into the deep end. Uh, two more Real quick, not a lot on them. Drake Nugent, center from Stanford. No offer from Oklahoma State. There's just been some rumors that there's some interest there. He's got one season left at center. Makes me think he's not going to come back, come here now that Preston Wilson's coming back, but you never know. And then Josh Cuevas, the tight end from Cal Poly. Three years left. No, he took an official to Washington recently. If I had to say one of the two tight ends, I'd probably lean more towards Arkin, the Colorado State guy. Then Cuevas, I, I don't, I haven't heard anything really on him. And the official to Washington maybe makes me think he's probably going to end up there. Yeah, uh, agreed. I I totally agree with you. One thing that we failed to mention about going all the way back to Dalton Cooper, he already announced today that his recruitment is over. So for the reason being that we think a commitment is imminent, he said announcements coming soon his recruitment's done so i i'm surprised actually that it hasn't broken while we've been sitting on this podcast i've been refreshing twitter waiting on it but (laughs) agreed Cade. i think that's all the portal wow let's get out let's get out what do you think the portal's made of by the way i said we swam in it but is that i mean is that the the matter within the portal i don't really even know I don't know. Maybe we swam. We float in it. Yeah. Who knows? We'll could, we'll have to come up with something. Maybe could be more of maybe a. Maybe we can goo. get some more uh, metaphors. <laughs> Who knows? A Mario situation where yeah, you're kind exactly. of shooting through the portal. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
But yeah, uh, Kate, if you if you're good, just a couple quick recruiting notes before we move on. Yeah, I think that's great. Cool. So one, let's start. Let's start with a one negative, real quick. Uh, Tage McCoy, Putnam City edge rusher. I think everybody thought he was a lock for Oklahoma State. Dion Primetime comes in. He commits to Colorado. Oklahoma State's going to have to go get another guy at that position because I know they wanted to bring in another kind of the edge type Leo defensive end player, and Dion just kind of stole him out from under us. I, I'm I don't want that to keep happening, but with a guy like Prime heading up Colorado, I think it might. Yeah, it might for a little while. He's going to have to win some games, but yeah, uh, agreed that 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 could be somebody you're competing with in this region that you weren't really. Uh, you know, for the last decade or so. Yeah. Very, uh, very different personality wise from Mike Gundy, the Dion. <laughs> yeah. I d- Man, that would be an interesting, you know, back-to-back visits. Mike Gundy rolls in and then Dion rolls in with his Louis luggage. Who knows? Oh, Dion. I love Dion though. But uh, next we've got RJ Lester commit Fort Smith, Arkansas, North side defensive back three-star prospect. He was originally committed to K-State, decommitted. We mentioned that on last week's podcast. Commits to Oklahoma State, 6'1", 185-pounder, number seven recruit out of Arkansas, regardless of position. Along with being committed to K-State, he also had interest from Tulane, LSU, Tulsa. Very fast, 4'4", guy, good length. I'm pretty excited about this pickup. Definitely a developmental piece, but I think he's a good addition to this class. And anytime you can get somebody to flip from another Big 12 school that's not, you know, the Kansas of the last few years, not recent Kansas, it's pretty big. Yeah, shots fired. But yeah, I totally agree that anytime you can flip somebody, especially from the defending Big 12 champs, you'll, you'll take that anytime you can get it, especially a position of need. I know you've got some guys there now, but you need depth pieces. You got to keep recruiting. So I love it. And then uh, lastly, a couple of the guys that visited this past weekend with some of those transfers, you've got uh, Isaiah Kima, 6'4", 295-pounder from Wolforth, Texas, friendship. He's an interior defense or offensive lineman. It sounds like he is committed to take a religious mission for two years. So if he does commit to Oklahoma State, I don't think he would be here until like the 2025 time frame but he's rated as the number 34 interior offensive lineman number 74 overall recruit regardless of position in the class of 2023 uh he's a top 500 prospect nationally so it would be pretty big time he's got over 20 offers uh it just would be kind of a weird one because he's going to commit and then we wouldn't see him for a long time if you yeah, were that, to but would that would be, be something awesome. we haven't really ever experienced you and i as we've been kind of breaking down recruiting all these years You've never had a guy commit and then not be there for three years. I don't know how that would yeah. go, but we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully figure out. Along with Kima, uh, Poisa Utu, the linebacker from Kinnandale, Texas, visited this past week, and he's already committed. Good to see him kind of just reaffirm that commitment with signing day coming up on the 21st, which we'll definitely have a guest again. I think it'll be the same guest as last year for the – after early signing period starts podcast. So that'll be fun. And the last guy that came on that visit, EK Esan Wune. I, that's my best nice shot. Six foot one, 250 pounder linebacker as well. Decommitted from Tulsa on Sunday. I'm expecting a Oklahoma state commitment sometime soon from EK. 
he uh he would be a good piece to this class not yet ready by 247 obviously once he commits if he commits to Oklahoma State he'll grab that three star rating as we see everybody does when they're not rated but I think it'd be a good get he's kind of like a diamond in the rough guy committed to Tulsa so obviously Tulsa saw something and then we decided to kind of just come in and poach him straight from there yeah Tulsa's got to be commit. sick of us right now they're like <laughs> we can't get these guys out of our way I love it but yeah Hey, that's uh, that's all I had recruiting wise. There's some other top ten lists, some other things going on, but with all the transfer portal news, we wanted to focus on that. Yeah, I mean, what's your spreadsheet look like to keep tabs on all this? I know it's got to be just an absolute monstrosity. It's it's just a bunch of note cards written out. I just have them pinned. You like Charlie that's what Day you on always. <laughs> I I didn't know what you were looking at. Well. You do a phenomenal job, and we're thankful for it, and we're better for it every week because of you. So if you have not already, please go to Dustin's Twitter and thank him and tell him how great he is at this. Um, we've got a couple of things to get to, a couple housekeeping things. We've got basketball to discuss. Before we get to that, though, obviously some news in the college football world really quickly that I think we we would be remiss if we didn't touch on in the sudden and tragic and very uh, – disappointing and upsetting passing of head coach Mike Leach. Dustin, I mean, a guy that, you know, really needs no introduction and um, gone way too soon in the world of college football, I think was the guy that I first saw somebody refer to as a national treasure was Mike Leach. And uh, it was gone way too soon. Yeah. Whether he was, you know, help along with Hal Mummy inventing the air raid offense, having one of the most, established and far-reaching coaching trees of all time to talking about players, fat little girlfriends. You just don't, you don't know with Leach what you were going to get at any time. And at, as you know, some of my friends know Alex Fuller being one of them, our friend of the pod Leach was always a favorite of mine. I, I would always joke that if Gundy were to leave for one of those jobs that he always interviews for, I would love for Oklahoma state to go get Mike Leach. One of my favorite Coaches, personalities in the football world sometimes did some things that were, you know, questionable to some, but he was always a fun guy to listen to. I know the, he had a bunch of great conversations with the media. They would ask him ridiculous questions just to get ridiculous responses from him. And he always kind of let it go, played, you know, played that role, still was serious at times and just, it's it's tough to you know see him leave when he was still you know in the midst of his coaching career yeah and really really at the, the I'm sorry Dustin really at the beginning of kind of a rebirth of his career at Mississippi State yeah and the the fact that, you know that he was an innovator and one of the first people to kind of help install with how mummy that air raid offense it's such an impact on the college football and football world in general he's always going to be remembered. Well, you look at right now, guys like Cliff Kingsbury and Lincoln Riley and Sonny Dykes. I mean, because of his impact on college football, the, his coaching tree will, will span for several more decades. And, and it will be, he will end up being one of the more impactful figures on the sport of football that has ever really existed just because of the way he changed the way offense was done. I mean, you look I mean, across the landscape, there's so many players that have come through and played under him. Um, it really is tragic. I, I watched a uh, a video from ESPN's Chris Fowler kind of talking about what Mike Leach meant to the game and, you know, his coaching tree, obviously, but also, you know, some of the funny stories. He said that 
just this last season as as uh, they were getting ready for the game on the field, Chris had gone down and started talking to Mike Leach and Nick Saban walks over and they start yucking it up. And then after Saban leaves, Mike Leach tries to pull some injury information out of Chris Fowler and just keeps prying at him. Like, Hey, what do you know about Alabama? I mean, who's out, who's going to be playing and why don't you just tell me and wouldn't let it go. And uh, it sounds like you can just imagine that conversation. Like Leach just like subtly digging at Chris Fowler, but I, there's so many stories that it's hard to keep track of, but um, again, just an influential man and figure. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really sad. Yeah, it's definitely thoughts out to his family and friends. It, I just remember back in the day reading his, I just had to look up the name because I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. His book, Swing Your Sword, kind of talks about his coaching philosophies, his life philosophies, and then obviously some things with the air raid offense mixed in. But just a just an all-around interesting guy and sad to see him go. And like I said, thoughts with his friends and family and, you know, anybody that was close to him. Cause it's definitely a tragic and sudden death to kind of, you know, take in and we'll definitely be thinking of them. Well, can we just go through a couple of, uh, so I've, I've pulled a, a couple up in preparation for this because there were so many, I've, I've got two, two quotes here that out of context are phenomenal. Here's one about Arizona state. So this was him talking about, the Arizona, like the, the PAC 12 mascots, he actually wrote a blog or did a YouTube video about this. And he said about Arizona state, he said, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil, because there's a lot of outside stuff there. (laughs) Just (laughs) here's another one talking about Colorado, just as far as a beast alone, a Buffalo is going to be pretty hard to tangle with just the way he saw the world and talked and, and, and carried himself. It's just unbelievable. And he did the weather that one time, yeah. the weather. Report. <laughs> yeah. He is, was an absolute character. Yeah. I, just a fun, if you like college football, it, it'd be hard to say you don't like Mike Leach. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, it's a better game now because of him. I, I think it's a more entertaining game now because of him. So he will be sorely missed. Yep. Coach Gundy, I know, knew him for a long time. And I I don't know how close they were, but I know they were friends. And he released a statement on it and everything. So that was cool to see. But I know those those guys kept in touch. And I know Mike Gundy thought very highly of him as a coach. Yeah, no question. He'll be missed and uh, it won't be the same without him. Dustin, on that note, let's take a quick break and hear word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right. Welcome back. I mean, 
I don't even really want to talk about this, but we're gonna. You can sense my enthusiasm about where Oklahoma State basketball is right now. I mean, six and four, you know, a, a really solid win. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Sam Houston State comes to town. They're ranked seventh in the net, probably inflated, but still, it's a good quad one win. You get that one 65 to 51. You build a little momentum. All of a sudden, you're going to Brooklyn, Mike Boynton's hometown, and you got Virginia Tech and Oklahoma State, you know, claws back in that game. But a consistent theme that we're starting to see, this has happened in, you know, at least three games, really more of a, of a kind of pattern. These scoring droughts are killing Oklahoma State's chances at winning several more basketball games. In, both, in all four of their losses, they have gone on five-minute or, five or longer scoring droughts. Yeah, and you, you just you see it play out in both these games. You know, against Sam Houston State, they shoot 38% from three, 71% from the free throw line, and 47% from the field. Then they go up to, they go up to New York and play Virginia Tech, 39% from the field, or sorry, 40% from the field, 29% from three. It's just that almost 10% drop from three. If they're not, if they're not hitting their shots. I know, I know it just sounds simple and dumb to say, but when they're not hitting their shots from the outside, they're having trouble winning the games. And I think, Cade, that's a little bit on Oklahoma State as a team. I just feel like I know we always talk about it. We keep saying it, and it's it's probably not this simple, but they have to continue getting the ball inside. Well, Caleb Boone has got to have more than four shots. You know, I know he had... 15 points in the loss to Virginia Tech, but it's just you've got to get these guys more shots. You've got to get Cissé the ball more. And I know teams are packing the paint. I know they're daring Oklahoma State to shoot, but I just think you've got to figure out more ways to get the ball inside. Well, I mean, I mean, if you can't, who else is going to go get a bucket? Because right now the answer is nobody. I mean, you've seen Avery Anderson do some good things. You've seen Caleb Asbury do some good things. John Michael Wright. I, none of them, though have shown the ability to be the guy you throw the ball to when the chips are down and you need a bucket. Caleb Boone has been that. So you're exactly right. Get the ball inside. I mean, there were times in that game where it's like Caleb Boone's out of the game for several minutes at a time where Oklahoma state can't manufacture any offense. and He's not really in foul trouble. It's like, you can't, you can't pull him in those moments. And if you do, and you're sensing a scoring drought coming, you got to throw him back on the court. Yeah, and Coach Boynton hit on his radio show too, just kind of talking about the guards a little bit more, that they've got to do a better job of letting John Michael Wright be the facilitator and the true point guard and having Avery Anderson play a little bit more off the ball. And, and I agree with that because when John Michael Wright can get himself going as a facilitator and a scorer, Oklahoma State normally wins. You know, he had 10 points on four or six shooting in that Sam Houston win. And then he has three points on one of five shooting in the Virginia Tech loss. He's got to do a better job himself, though, of picking his spots and trying to create some offense because, you know, they've got Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, guys who are going to get their shots up. We've talked about Cissé and Boone down low. But outside of that, you've got Asbury who can get streaky from three at times. But John Michael Wright, I think, has more of a scoring arsenal repertoire to 
get more points and get more shots up and take good shots. And I, I think he's got to do a better job of that. I'm not asking him to be the team's leading scorer by any means, but he has got to be in that kind of like eight, nine, 10 point range. I think if Oklahoma state wants to win games, well, I think that's what you and I expected out of him. I, I, I will say even a guy like Bryce Thompson has got to be more consistent at this so point in his career. At this point in his career, you don't know what you're going to get from him. It could be 20. It could be two. And, and that is um, for your five-star shooting guard. I would love to split the difference and know that I'm getting 12 a game. I would love to know that. Yeah. And Boynton also mentioned this on his radio show, that Sam Houston game, he's four or six from three. He should never be four of six. He should be like four of nine. Don't Agreed. Stop that six. Agreed. <laughs> like, you know, four of 10 is still 40% from three. He needs to get his shots up if he's, if he's feeling it. If he's well, hot and he knows it, shoot it. And, and people may think I'm exaggerating, but here's, here's his point totals. 18, 14, four, two, eight, 18, 13, eight, 17, four. He's all over the place. And that that is maybe the last thing Oklahoma State needs right now is not having reliable production from a guy that can produce. And then on the kind of the other side of the ball, the defense has been great and elite at times, but you've got to limit the fouls. You can't let these teams go to the free throw line so many times. And in turn, on the other on the offensive side, you gotta stop turning it over. <laughs> When you can't score and you turn the ball over a lot, it makes for a and really the other miserable, throws. a miserable <laughs> game to watch. And that I think the style of where things are, they don't really do anything all that attractive, which defense is awesome. But when you're not converting that into points, it's like, man, this is this is abysmal and it's not going to get any easier. Here's the problem, Dustin. Big 12 play is two games away. And they have not yeah, figured they, this out. And they need to what? They need to win at least. I think they need to win these next two. And then they've got to win what? At least eight in the in Big 12 play to be considered for the tourney. It feels like 10 right now because of what you've done in the non-conference. Yeah. And Wichita State, who they've got coming up next, they, you know, they, they don't have a great record right now. But they've got some guys in Porter and Walton. They're good on defense. They... They've played K-State and Mizzou already. They took Mizzou to overtime. They don't shoot the three well, which is good for Oklahoma State. <laughs> but this is a team that's going to play tough. It's They play like Wichita. I know there's been you know changes in the coaching staff over time, but they still play that kind of methodical offense, running the shot clock. They play good defense. It's going to be a tough game. It's in Wichita. And Oklahoma State needs to win this game. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a hands-down must-win put it all on the floor type of game. Uh, Cause then you get Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which is you should win that game. And then what do you get Dustin? A trip to Allen Fieldhouse. Then you get West Virginia. Who's eight and two on the season, probably going to be 10 and two by the time they come in. And then you go to Texas. Who's just number seven in the country. The, this was a beat all these teams once to this, get to nine wins. <laughs> this was a bad borderline, unacceptable non-conference. We love Mike Boynton. We, we do, and I won't lump you in with this, but I will say the the Oklahoma State had an opportunity this year to get the monkey off its back and and get out in front into this new era because this the postseason ban is not an excuse anymore. This 
this is reaching unacceptable levels of apathy that even the most diehard Oklahoma State fan in myself is like, man, I, I'm not getting fired up to watch Cowboy basketball right now. Just not. Yeah, and I, I'm not – I don't disagree with that take completely. I want to see how Big 12 play goes because you know sometimes they're able to turn it on for Big Absolutely. 12 play. But if it starts off rocky, I, I think I'm going to flip completely over to that same sentiment that you just stated, which I don't think is hot take here out of out of you know left field or anything like that either. Because I I agree with a lot of what you just said, and if if they don't, they need to win these next two, and they need to start out Big Twelve play hot. I'm not saying you need to go beat KU, West Virginia, and Texas on that run, but win win at least one of those and play the other two competitively, and you probably need to win two of them. Yeah. No question. There's uh it's not, it's not going to get any easier and the defenses are only going to get better that they're playing. And it seems like even the floor of the big 12 has raised this year. I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma state are at the bottom of it right now. So not the best. Yeah. Not great there. And that was our negative basketball talk. <laughs> hey, here's the deal. If they start rat, I mean, I, I'm watching every game. I'm, I'm tuning in every game. I'm living so, yeah, and dying by every clips. shot. Yeah. Check out the Twitter. We're doing clips. Living and dying by every shot. But right now, this is not a whole lot of fun. But hey, you never know. And to your point, uh, Oklahoma State historically does turn it around late in the season and make a late push. So let's see what happens. Okay. We've got some listener questions to get to. I know we've spent a lot of time on the portal, but I'm sure of it that that's what you guys want to hear about as well. So I've got a couple of questions uh, from our listeners that I'll play. Then I'll flip it over to you, Dustin. Here's one from... Ryan number one. So how did we give up so many pass yards this year with Taylor being All-American, uh, Daniels being a newcomer of the year, and Bahama being honorable mention, and even Black seemed like he had a pretty good season. The other question I have is uh, you guys listed your projected depth chart on next year's O-line, uh, but you didn't have – Springfield in it. Wasn't he honorable mention all Big 12? Thanks. It's a great question. On the passing yard thing, Dustin, I, I may defer to you on that. I your your guess is probably as good as mine. Yeah, a lot of explosives they gave up this year. Like a lot of explosive plays. I think Oklahoma State was like in the top of the Big 12 and 20 plus yard passing plays given up this year. And you saw a lot of that was on what we talked about earlier when we were talking about the linebackers, busted coverages, guys coming out of the backfield, wide open, motions happening. And I, I think I chalked that up a lot to inexperience. They got beat a lot in zone coverage. And then with the way teams were able to run the football, you can kind of get beat on play action passes at times as well. So I think all that kind of added up. We also saw Oklahoma State go with a lot of tempo early, turn into some you know, higher scoring affairs, some shootouts, which will lead to more yards just in general. But I, I do I do think it's a great call out. And it's a little bit weird to think about the players that they had in the defensive backfield and the amount of yards that they gave up. There were also some injuries back there, but I think kind of everything I said just pieced together, accumulated that to that and was the driver. And there wasn't like one root cause. But it's something they've got to continue to improve upon. And you've got to note, too, first-year defensive coordinator with Derek Mason. So, Well, I mean, and how often did you see it's You're right. You can't pin it on any one cause. And not all of those explosives looked the same. Like, you had 
you know, bubble screens out in the flat go for 40 yards. You had, you know, uh, receivers settling down in between the second and third levels of the defense, you know, take it off and running for 80 yards. And then you had just busts in coverage. So it, it, it was a, anybody's best guess as to how they were going to give up passing yardage, which is why I'm like, I, it does feel like an experience felt like the linebackers really struggled at times, but even the secondary that we've, you know, lauded as individuals, they, they didn't play all that well as a unit together. I think individually, those guys are great, but they'll need to be better going into this year. There's no question. Agreed. And it'll be awesome to get, like we said, back like four of the five starters out there. So yeah, right. um, on the second part of the question, I will admit I've been very critical of Jake Springfield in the past. He lost his starting position two years ago in the middle of the season to Preston Wilson, not due to injury but due to performance, I thought he really struggled early in this season and then turned it around to where a couple of games, I thought he was one of the better linemen that played. So I do agree. And I think it's a great call out from the, from the listener question. Just from what I'm hearing on Austin Kowecki, I right. think he can beat him out. But if Springfield is still on the roster, it wouldn't shock me if he was the starter. Now, if they are to land a Cooper in a Washington, and we talked about, you know, if Etienne were even, if Cooper looked better at left and Etienne were able to move to right tackle, just with all those variables, I don't think it's super likely that Springfield is a starter. I also don't, it doesn't seem like he's going to transfer. So I could see him being kind of a swing tackle piece, which in that role, Jake Springfield is a huge asset to have on your team. I don't think he's a, top team in the big 12 caliber starting right tackle. But I do think he is a depth piece and a really good overall offensive lineman. Who's very experienced and obviously very smart. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It doesn't feel like a Springfield thing entirely. I, I, really liked Austin Kowecki. I know you did out of high school. We looked at him as a guy that could come in get a year under his belt and then contribute. And that's, that has followed. So I, I'd never viewed it as a knock on Springfield, more of a evolution of this offensive line as new talent comes in. I, I think Kowecki will start at that right tackle spot, but they'll be in good shape with Springfield too. I'll say this. I don't expect Springfield to start at right tackle. I, I think they're going to have somebody, whether it is Kowecki or a Dalton Cooper or a Caleb Etienne shuffling over or a Savion Washington. I think they're looking to upgrade at that spot. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I agree. And again, like you said, not a knock on Springfield. I think he he really played better than I expected throughout the second half of the season when Oklahoma State was seeing all those injuries. I thought at times, like I said, he was one of the better linemen on the field. Yeah. All right. Here's one from Ryan Winkle. What's up, dudes? Uh, I don't know if I'm just dumb, but it seems like Musa Cisse is not as involved in the offense as he needs to be. And I know some of that has to do with just terrible shooting. But seeing as how there's never going to be good shooting in Stillwater, from what it feels like, I was curious if you guys have any X's and O's uh, answers as to how they may be able to work around that and incorporate him more into the offense. Well, Ryan, I think you said it. I don't know outside of pick and roll how you can incorporate Musa differently because he doesn't score the basketball well. Um, I mean, even when he catches, gathers, and is kind, you know, in rhythm, the ball doesn't go in a whole lot. And I think 
it would be poor coaching if they were running the offense through him in a different way. I am I crazy on that? No, and I, I think it's a great question. I think w- the only thing you could really do because Moose's shot isn't developed, which I think he has shown flashes that he could develop that, but that may be something for you know his time in the NBA. You've got to push the ball and try to get down on offense before the defense can get back and set because what teams are doing, and we mentioned it earlier, we talked about going inside, but also teams are crowding the lane. They're daring Oklahoma State to shoot the ball. Whether they're in man, match zone, or true zone, they're backing into the lane to try to keep the ball away from Caleb Boone and Cisse, and the only real way to get them out of the lane is to either hit outside shots, which you know Ryan alluded to, we've struggled to do that consistently for the past couple seasons, and or push it where not all their guys are down there and try to hit Cisse as a runner, you know, on alley oops. Which, kid, the alley oop passes this season have been pretty bad. Oh, have they connected on one? No, and not to call it Avery Anderson. Love Avery Anderson. I think he's a great player. His have been terrible. Well, it feels like they're throwing them out of bounds every time or off the backboard. Or like, you'd be better off just stopping the, the run. And just to, to counter on the flip side a little bit, Cissé does not have the world's best hands, but you've got to get the ball somewhere near his hands for him to even have a shot at catching it. But I think that's the only other way, Kay, just kind of push the ball and try to beat the defense down the floor and either get it to him where he can get in that dunker spot at, in a quick set, in a quick half-court set, or hit him in transition because he's flying down the floor always. Yeah, I guess I was looking at Ryan's question from a half-court perspective. Like, if you're in transition, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely, let him run the floor. But from in the half-court, I don't know how you do much else other than pick Hit him outside shots. Well, he pulled up don't for one up against lane. Virginia Tech, and I almost walked outside. So, <laughs> Well, I meant the guards to open it up down there. Oh! <laughs> if Musa wants to do it too, that's fine. I yeah, I thought you were being sarcastic. I thought you brought. I thought you said Musa hit outside shots. It's like if he that would be another one. one I'm gonna scream. <laughs> uh, was that all the audio? That's we it. Had? That's it. Okay. <laughs> so we got quite a few Twitter questions. So we're just gonna hit a few, just in time's sake. Yep. Kate and I are trying to keep these a little. I know it doesn't seem like it with how long we went on the transfer portal, but. Keep these a little shorter than the end season pod. We're trying so, so hard, and we're going to release a two-hour off-season podcast. <laughs> Here's one quick one from Greg Bullard at G Bullard Seven. He says, "Is Solomon Wright expected to contribute at defensive tackle in 2023?" So, Kate Solomon Wright is uh, one of Kenyatta Wright's sons. Elijah Wright is the other one that's on Oklahoma State's team. As far as I know, Solomon is not currently with the team. He's not listed on the roster. I tried to get some info um, after we got this question, and I haven't really heard anything to make me think differently. But as far as I know, he's not currently on the roster. Yeah, I I haven't either. And sometimes these things happen and you don't really know them. Kind of like the C.J. Brown example. And you look up and it's like, hey, what happened to that guy? And they've been gone for, for a while. So... Yeah. It's just one of those weird things. And he also asked a second question, which I wanted to hit because I mentioned it earlier, about which super seniors are expected to come back. So I'm not saying these are for sure's, but from what I've gathered, I think Samuela will be back. 
Nathan Latou, you and I both expected him to be back, so no surprise there. Lamont Bishop, but he's a guy who I mentioned earlier could be a could be a transfer portal candidate. That's just a guess. Kopinski, Cassidy, and Shawn Michael Flanagan. Those are the names that I've heard just in different at different times mentioned in folks report articles. You know, maybe heard someone in the media mention it, and I just kind of gathered all those together. I would be shocked if Cassidy and Shawn Michael Flanagan came back, even Samuela, <laughs> but it sounds like they all might. And if Samuela comes back, that's great right. time because he's just, I don't think he's a starting caliber zero tech like Sione, but he's definitely a depth piece there. No, hundred percent. He was the one when you said that, that I was like, okay, that works. I'd be pumped about again. The other two would be shocking um, just from a God feels like they've been there forever, but yeah, you need depth at defensive tackle badly. Yeah. Uh, Thunder Rolls at Thunder Rolls 4. He had some kind words for the podcast and the Twitter. So appreciate that. He says, Who do you expect to lead the team in carries next season? Is it, how could it not be Ollie, Ollie, right? Yeah. If it's not Ollie, Ollie. he might transfer. (laughs) Even with Sean Tyler coming in, I think it's, I think it's Ollie. If it's not Ollie, some of you might transfer. Like, let's be honest. I do think Sean Tyler will make his case, though. Agreed. Uh, like we saw, I don't think he's going to be a Jalen Warren, but we saw him come in and just kind of completely take over as the one running back. So I do think it's a good question, but I think it's going to be Ollie until Sean Tyler proves him wrong. And Agreed. I, don't, I don't think that'll happen. Yep. Um, Flash at Ryan Flash Polar. He, he asked about quarterbacks. We hit that earlier with the Brennan Armstrong news. He asked that before that news oh, came nice. out. So. Uh, appreciate the question. Our guy M at uh, underscore camera one underscore. Haven't heard, haven't got a question from him in a minute, but he's a, he's a, you know, consistent question asker. So I want to hit his, any player comparisons for the two new transfers, Sean Tyler and Stribling. You, you said one earlier for Stribling. Did you not? I said Des, but that was a, that was out there. <laughs> I don't so want to go was... down with that. So I've started a little bit of my film breakdown on Sean Tyler. I'm going to do him next. I'm going to try to watch a couple games, maybe uh, at least two, maybe three. I see, I kind of thought maybe like a little Duke Johnson. If you remember Duke oh, Johnson wow. from Miami, played uh, played in the NFL. I, I don't think he's on a roster right now. I'm not 100% certain, but Duke's a little bit thicker. I think coming out of college, he was like 5'9", 207. And uh, Tyler's like 5'8", 190, so a little bit bigger, but they kind of remind me of each other a little bit, kind of that breakaway speed. Also, being smaller guys, they're, they've got good balance and aren't afraid of the contact. And then I, this was the one I originally thought of, but I know not as this is a little bit farther back. And even though he was a, you know, he played predominantly in the NFL, was a really good college back, not maybe as well known or as recent a name, but work done. Oh, wow. That really stuck nice. out to me because Tyler seems to be pretty good in pass pro too. That was something that Dunn made his name with, even being a smaller guy. They're similar in size. Dunn maybe a couple inches taller, but weight-wise, they're similar. Not saying he's going to be as good as work done, who I think you know had some really good seasons in the NFL, but style and size that that one stuck out to me it was tough for me with sean tyler because he's small um he honestly when he runs he looks exactly like ld brown but smaller and 
I thought that breakaway speed like reminded me of him, but I think definitely has more uh, vision and size wise. They don't compare, but that breakaway speed stuck out to me. I love the two that you went with. Oklahoma state has not really had a running back of his style and size. Like they've had Jalen Warren who was smaller, but was a bowling ball. That's not Sean Tyler. So I don't know if there's an Oklahoma State comp. Had I seen this question, I would have come more prepared, but I just I don't see one off the jump the, with him. The only one you can kind of go with size-wise from recently, I feel like, is Justice Hill, but I don't think Tyler has the jump cut shit right, right, that right. Hill does. He, nope. But he does some things better than Hill, I think. And that's why I went with LD, because it was more that straight-line speed, one-to-two cut type of back. Justice would leave you... Uh, on the dirt though and you wouldn't get a hand on him i mean he was a phone booth type of running back so i i i don't have anything off the top deshaun stribling though is an athletic player he's a physical receiver but i think he's really skilled and he's really um he's a good route runner he gets open i don't know if i would i mean i'll go tay martin is that a lazy comp I like that. No, I, I like that one. I like the Tay Martin comp there. I think he, since he's slender, he is but slender. He's still the 6'3, and he's, you know, his high school 40 time, I believe, was like a 4'4'5, and I'm sure he's improved on that. So he's a legit, probably 4'4 guy. Going non Oklahoma State, since you went Oklahoma State, I was trying to think of a taller, skinnier, fast receiver, and he's not as fast as this guy because I think I think he ran like a four three six or something. But a Robbie Anderson. Oh wow, <laughs> I like it. They're they're similar. They're like almost the exact same height and weight. And like I said, he doesn't have that speed. But you're thinking of a outside receiver who's slender but can get physical, good route runner. And has that breakaway speed. He was one that kind of popped in my head. I do. I have trouble doing the OSU comps. And since you hit a couple of yeah. them, I think I, I was trying to go more NFL. And I know people are probably looking more for the OSU comps, but those are just tough because there's not as many to pick from. No, you did a you did a great job. And the Robbie Anderson one is is crystal clear. I I love that. It's that's way better than Des. I just I loved his uh, go up and high point the football ability and some of the things I saw. Yeah, we got a couple more. We're not going to be able to hit uh, Glory Cowboy, our guy there. Um, we got Brian Metcalf sending one in. And then the last one I wanted to hit, because it's a little bit different than some of the other ones, Bill uh, Minat at Bill, my geo guy, he's asking about the coaching changes and the rumors there. Is that wishful thinking? It's... No, nope. Robert Allen has been pretty adamant that it, there's that Arroyo is not going to be one of those guys, one of the names we originally heard, and he would, you know, bring over TJ Woods. He seems to think that's not going to happen. I, I personally think it's probably still on the table. The only one that I can say that I'm pretty positive is he's going to end up in some kind of position on Oklahoma State staff, whether that's an on-field coach, an analyst, probably leaning more towards on-field, is Mike Spr- I think Kale Gundy is going to be here next year. I, just with everything we've heard, all the rumors about it, I, I could see him ending up somewhere on this staff. I At this point, I would be surprised if it didn't happen because it feels like there's been so much chatter about it. And um, 
again, I love the idea of him being an on the field coach, but even in an analyst type of role, he needs to be in a position where he can recruit though. I mean, it yeah, would be a agreed. waste. It would be a waste of Kale Gundy's talents if he's not out being, you know, Oklahoma state's one, a one B recruiter with Casey Dunn or a Marcus Arroyo. And I agree with you. I don't think it's off the table. I, I don't know if I'm going to die on that Hill, but I, I don't think that the, it's, it's over. I don't either. And if I'm still leaning towards one coaching position outside of, you know, if a Kale Gundy took somebody's spot because somebody left one coaching position, they may move on from, I'm still leaning offensive line, but I don't think Gundy's going to do, I, I originally thought he may try to do something quickly. I know we talked about that on the podcast, but after it dragged on that week, I was like, he's probably not going to do anything until after the bowl game which is what he's historically done. So I just thought with all the news, all the rumors, everything we were hearing, it might be done quickly. But now that it's kind of dragged out a little bit, I, I doubt we hear anything until after we play Wisconsin. No, I, I think at this point you can you can ha- have a seat, sit back and relax because it's probably not coming until the bowl game. And you're right. That is how he normally does it. We probably, as a fan base, should have expected that. So I totally agree. Well, I appreciate uh, anything else on the Twitter front. I was going to say we got one more um, in the DMs. We're not going to be able to hit it. It's a basketball one. I'll try to save it for next time from our guy Pradeep. He sent one in before. Oh, nice. It's a really good question, but I just I, it was in the DM, so I forgot about it until just now, and I know we're out of time. So <laughs> sorry, Pradeep. Appreciate it. Yes, sorry about that. Thanks for sending it in. I I think Cade. The only thing we missed, Cade Cunningham, out for the season, recovering from a shin injury tough to hear I, he hadn't played in very many games this season i think like 11 or 12 so it, we thought probably something was going to happen on that front with him being out for a while but tough to see him miss a season because he's had a pretty promising career so yeah far. especially you know year two is when a lot of guys make that leap into that next level of of player in the nba you know what's catching a lot of flack is his diet and i don't know if that's right wrong or indifferent but he's still a vegan and, and if you go search Cade Cunningham, you're going to get a lot of talk about that. So I, I, I just throw that out there as an interesting nugget that Detroit fans who are, you know, in love with Cade Cunningham are, are clamoring about. I've become a, a closet Detroit fan. And so this is a oh, little yeah. bit uh, disappointing. So they, they've yeah, got I've a got great roster. Cade Cunningham jersey. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right well dustin appreciate you getting all those together and thank you again i mean the the portal breakdown is what you and i live for i mean it's the off season we we got a dream if we can't dream what do we have you know yeah it's either talk to you talk to you and the listeners about it or or talk to my wife about it and she's not listening to it yeah right 100 percent. she's trying to watch her show and you you can't even lock in i get it i get it my friend i'm the exact same way but we should go ahead and get out of here and we should go sit and visit with our wives this evening. If you're not already, you should follow us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. Absolutely. Follow Dustin at dust and give me a follow at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Have a great weekend. Go folks.